He is a columnist for the Charlotte Observer. Good man as well, Scott Fowler, on the guest line. Scott, welcome back to the show, buddy. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me. Well, we're happy to have you here. So uh, I, I read your piece on it. I don't want to give away your take on the Steve Clifford hire, but did the Hornets make a good hire with Steve Clifford? Given the circumstances, I say yes. I know that is not necessarily popular uh, to say they actually may have got this right, but I think, you know, if they weren't going to hire, uh, if they weren't going to hit a home run, and um, and I also wrote a column earlier thinking they should really look out of the box and look at hard at Don Staley, given none of that happened, and uh Kenny Atkinson, Travesty. I thought Clifford was actually a good move. I've always admired his coaching ability. Even when he left, I thought he got fired uh, too early here. And on either side of him, the Hornets' record getting into the playoffs has really been pathetic. Uh, with Clifford, they made it two out of five years. So I think he's a defensive-minded coach, and I think he'll actually succeed here again. Uh, Scott, let's look at, cause I tried to do this earlier. Cause I am somebody who I like the coach, the fit really scares me. And mm -hmm. so I, but I, but given that I'm not a fatalist, I don't necessarily think it's, it's doomed, but I just am concerned about it. Let's start with the best case scenario. What do you think the best case scenario is for Steve Clifford 2.0 in Charlotte? Best case scenario, resign miles bridges, um, get lucky with one of the young players or two, you know, to emerge the, the core of about five of them that he's going to have to work with, uh, get him to play some young players a little bit more. I think that'll be certainly part of this that he's going to need to, he's definitely favored veterans when he was here the first time and all of that, uh, you know, when, 45 games uh, rather than 43 this first year and end up as a six seed. That would probably be a best-case scenario. All right, let's go to the opposite side. What's the worst-case scenario with uh, the Steve Clifford hire? Uh, worst case would probably be he and LaMelo immediately clash. Uh, they lose bridges somehow, you know, at, at restricted free agency. Uh, and they just, you know, they – <laughs> they, they really bomb. And it is, you know, in Orlando, after he left here, you know, he made the playoffs the first two years. And then their third year, they really bombed. They went, they won like 21 games or something. And, and that was the end of the Clifford era in Orlando. So he, he's had those, you know, couple of post seasons in his last two stops, but then it's gone sour. And, you know, he's 60 years old. He's not going to be here 10 years, but I think that, that yeah, worst case scenario, sure they you know they win twenty five and they're doing this again next year. But I really don't, I just don't really foresee that happening. I don't. I think he's too solid and steady a guy for it to just all go completely to pieces. Scott Fowler, columnist for the Charlotte Observer, on the guest line. Uh, we are breaking down the Steve Clifford hire. He will speak to the media at one. Will Steve Clifford? That'll be played on this very show on this very station. Let's get to that Miles Bridges thing. I'm sure some of this is just public negotiations and public pressure on all sides here. How likely is it that you think Miles Bridges isn't a Charlotte Hornet next year? I think it's, you know, 80-20 that he's back. Uh, they really seem to have publicly said nothing, but we really, really want him. Uh, but we've seen... 
you know, Kupchak does have a limit on, uh, he is not uh, Marty Herney and he doesn't just re-sign guys because he likes them or, you know, is overly loyal to them. And so I think, you know, I mean, there's, there's that 20% that somebody else makes a, a really, really crazy offer that the Hornets don't want to match. I suppose, you know, I thought one year, one point, they never would lose Kemba and, and, Mitch Kupchak parted with Kemba probably at the right time, although I didn't think it was at the right time, really. Uh, but Bridges is, I mean, still on the upside, going, his career is really going in the right direction. That's just a guy you can't lose. So I, I think he's going to be back. Scott, um, one of the thoughts behind not re-signing or not giving Miles Bridges the max contract is the luxury tax, which which Michael Jordan has said he'll only go into is if they're contending. The the there were other thoughts on the Kenny Atkinson walk away that that was tied to uh, paying assistance. And the Hornets do have a reputation around the NBA as being a very frugal organization. If Michael Jordan doesn't spend now, is it safe to assume he won't ever spend? <laughs> well, I, I think I think that reputation is somewhat uh, erroneous. I, I think they've they've spent a fair. They're not. This isn't the Donald Sterling uh, era out here. I mean, they really spend some money. I think they probably made the right call on Kemba. You could argue they've overpaid several people, uh, Gordon Hayward, uh, et cetera, Nicholas Batum. So I think they've, they've, you know, spent some money. Michael has uh, certainly said that, that he doesn't want to go luxury tax. I think Bridges is the guy they're going to reach for. If they don't reach for Bridges, uh, to your point, though, which is a good one, yeah, I mean, that's a bad sign. Because here you are trying to restart again with the coach, and you cannot waste the LaMelo ball years. You know, LaMelo is starting to hit his prime, should get better in the next three years got to keep him obviously that's a max contract but you got to surround him with people Lamelo is better you know when he's got a lot of scores around him so and miles has got to be one of those scott fowler the charlotte observer on the guest line here on the nick wilson show on sports radio 92.7 fnz we are talking hornets here but i wanted to get uh, your thoughts on the breaking news here from the acc they have eliminated divisions uh there are going to be three opponents that are played annually for each school and then the rest uh will rotate with uh with home in a ways um on the scheduling model here i, I want to know whether you like it and who do you think came out on top on the scheduling model for the acc i haven't seen the scheduling model did they lose any big rivalries i mean i know the general idea but was was there anybody who's not playing that really should be playing every year or have you looked at it close enough so there hasn't been any of that but it's like one of clemson's three annual opponents is georgia tech um what was the uh, oh miami has boston college like some of them just Mm. quite frankly don't make a lot of sense to me yes right i mean i'm sure whenever you're doing one of those you're you're throwing together people at at the end where you're just matching people up randomly. Uh, I do like the general idea. I mean, honestly, the division thing, I had to refresh myself every single year on who was in where, and it never, I never really liked it, you know, Atlantic and Coastal and the fact that 
three of the best teams often seem to be in one division, and then somebody would sneak into the ACC championship game, and then there'd be a 45 to 17 blowout or something in Charlotte. I like it. I mean, it feels more like basketball. It feels, and in this in this model, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, you just get to the top two teams end up playing. Is that the just the way you you do it? Yes, sir. End? Yeah. So I I mean I think that's. I think that's better. I have not seen the scheduling module, so I can't tell you who got uh, who got the shaft. <laughs> I, I don't know who's who's UNC's opponent. Uh, they've got NC State, Duke, and who am I missing? Fitty? Virginia. Oh, Virginia. That one they got right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that one's correct. Yeah. So Scott, I'll I'll, I'll uh, from the sports side of things because I'm a, we finish up every interview with our five questions for our guests. I'll get to those in just a second. But I, I did want to ask you the million-dollar question or $20 million question that I've asked every Panthers reporter, columnist, fan for the last four months. Who starts week one at quarterback for the Carolina Panthers? Oh, I still think it's Darnold. Uh, I think I think the Mayfield thing is a tease. I don't think that ends up being – I don't think that ends up happening. Yeah. So, yeah, Darnold. I- I think Darnold is the uh, is the de facto starter week one. All right, so let's get to our five questions. We're going to try and do this rapid fire, okay? These are questions we're going to answer in the next segment. Number one, well, you just answered it, actually, because I asked who uh, are, who is the starting quarterback week one. You said uh, Sam Darnold. Two, which biopic is the most rewatchable? Hmm. Biopic most How about Ric Flair's? Ooh, okay. All righty. All right. What is your summer anthem this year, if you have one? Uh, call me maybe, I'd say. Ooh, okay. All right. What is uh, that one threw me off a little. I was not expecting a little Carly Rae Jepsen here. Uh, what is one thing you don't wash enough? Oh, geez. Uh, my car. Yeah, I'm right there with I got pollen still on my car. All right, what college football program? This is be Paul Feinbaum called one college football program mediocre. One one powerhouse mediocre. What college football program do you think of as mediocre? Michigan. All right, that very very good there. All right, uh Scott, you are fantastic as always. Everybody read Scott's work on uh the Observer in theobserver.com. Scott Fowler, columnist for the Charlotte Observer. Thanks for playing along, man. Really do appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Y'all have a good one.